Well, we're in a series on parables, and I began praying a few days ago and just seeking the Lord, and I felt strongly directed to Matthew 13. So if you would turn there with me this morning in your word, uh, your device, whatever it is you read your Bible on, I really encourage you to bring an actual Bible. I think it's important for us to open the Word of God. Not that I don't spend a lot of time on my Bible app, because I do, but I have some favorite Bibles. Anybody got a favorite Bible you just love? Me too. Actually, the one I got when I was saved is my favorite. It was a gift from my brother, and he had been saved for several years and praying for me to, to give my heart and life to the Lord. And when I did, he, uh, he went and bought me a, a wonderful Bible there at the Bible bookstore. And it was interesting because I, he had my name put on it. And when he picked it up, it just didn't transfer onto the Bible very well. So it was kind of there, but it wasn't. It was a little bit smudged. And they said, sir, you know, do you want this, uh, want us to redo it? And he said, you know. And he felt prompted by the Holy Spirit in that moment of when the, when the name was on there, he handed it to me. And he said, I left it like it was because I want you to know that even when you serve God now, I have for almost 27 years that uh, things aren't always perfect. Amen? Said, my grandfather used to tell me, you, 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 you always grow more spiritual, Jason, but you'll never be less human. And that's the true. So I began to seek the Lord and get my good old Bible out. And I turned to Matthew 13. And I began to just dig into Matthew 13. Now, I talked last week about what parables are. I want to give you a little bit different angle about parables. And I also want to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Everybody say, the kingdom of heaven. A lot of Jesus' most important parables dealt with the kingdom of heaven. I did a paper uh, when I was in school. It was my main big research paper. And even all the way back then, we didn't have the the virtue of Google, (laughs) right? We had to go to the library and check out a mountain of books to begin to study and to read. And we had this whole list of topics. And I'm reading down through what was probably 50 different topics that we could write a paper on for our kind of our main final class. It was our really it was our research paper. And we certainly had to pass it to move on and graduate. And I, I just came to that place where one of the topics was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Those are interchangeable. Matthew was writing to primarily Jewish believers that were actually still in the primary area of Jerusalem. So it was one of the earliest Gospels written. And to know that is important because that is what Matthew, in Matthew 13, he takes several parables and you can see them layered together in a very beautiful way. And one of the questions that people ask when Jesus would give a parable, even his own disciples later on after Jesus would give a parable, they would say, Lord, why do you speak to, you speak to us plainly about the kingdom of God. Why do you give parables to the rest of the people? And in Matthew 13, it talks about, so the, the scripture would be feel, fulfilled of hearing they do not hear and seeing they do not, do not see. So there's other reasons, but I want to point out a few things here to begin this morning of what the kingdom of heaven is and why Jesus taught in parables. I think one of the reasons Jesus taught in parables was to simply teach us that we can never go to the Word of God in and of ourselves and learn anything. Come on? In other words, the Bible is the only book that when you open it, you actually have the author present with you when you open it. So you can pray and ask the Holy Spirit. I mean, I am flattered if you ever come to me and say, Pastor, your sermons have changed my life. It is not my C-minus sermons that have changed your life, y'all. It is the Holy Spirit's illumination of His Word. And I'm flattered by that, and I thank you. 
that anybody would ever think that it's my sermons that change. It's the Spirit of God showing the Word of God to you and revealing it to you in your life. I mean, I live with three other people in my house. I can't even get those three people to agree on where to go eat. So I want to remind you, it is not me that is changing you. It's not me that's growing this church. It's not me that's seeing people saved and healed and delivered. It is God and it's Jesus and it's His Spirit being poured out on a people that are just hungry for more of Him. So you have to approach anything, but especially when you come to the parables, you have to stop and you say, the Holy Spirit, I ask you to teach me all things. Uh, another reason that I believe Jesus taught in parables, and it reveals something about God, the entire Word of God always reveals something about the nature of God. We've been talking about that for weeks as we've studied miracles, and now we're studying some of the parables of Jesus. But I see in the parables, especially in Matthew 13, that we understand that, that God didn't just want to be understood. He wanted to be trusted and followed. Amen? It, it, oftentimes in our, in our lives, in our, especially our spiritual Christian lives, we have a lot more questions than we have answers sometimes, right? And that's what people left Jesus and his teachings left sometimes with more questions than answers because it wasn't just about giving them an answer. It was about showing them that they could have a relationship with the God that wouldn't just teach them a parable one time, but he would actually take those parables. And if they took the seed of God's word and planted it in their heart, it would cause great fruit to grow in their lives. He wants a relationship. We see that in the parables that God wasn't just giving answers. He was teaching them that he wants a relationship And if you've been in a relationship with anyone, you can quickly say that the the basis of relationships isn't always understanding the other person. All married people say amen, right? (laughs) It's not just about understanding. So we understand that the Holy Spirit is key. It's not about the preaching and teaching or anything like that. It is about Him being in the midst of His Word. And He's showing people that as He taught in the parables. God wants to be trusted and loved, not just understood. And finally, in the Bible, the currency between us and God is something called faith. Amen? Everybody say faith. faith. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but this is the basis of... I'm going to teach the next at least three weeks in Matthew 13 because there are three parables out of several in there that I think speak to where our church is and where our church is going. I think it speaks to the fact that we have a group of people in this congregation that are just hungry for the Holy Spirit and hungry for God, hungry for more of Him. And and what I desire and have always desired in the context of the people of God is to see the kingdom of heaven realized in every single area of your life. And I want to tell you this morning that that is not only possible, it is what God desires in your life. To see that, So we have to start to begin to ask, okay, if the kingdom of heaven is going to be realized in my life, realized in my family, realized in this church, realized in the community of Homosassa, Florida, then we have to ask ourselves a simple question. And I want to point out something else. All life is spiritual, church. All of life. We separate our lives and say, well, this is my church life, my spiritual life, and this is my family life, and this is my work life, and this is my leisure life. God doesn't want you to compartmentalize your life. He wants to be a part of every area of your life. So understanding that will help us really dig in today and understand what these parables meant. So in Matthew 13, I'm going to begin today with the title of my message is, I Bought the Farm. 
Amen. I don't even know where that saying came from, but I bought the farm. And then next week, I'm going to talk about the wheat and the tares, the parable of wheat and tares, and how we can study that and figure out where the enemy is sowing seeds in our life that grow weeds and where God is sowing his word and his kingdom that we need to protect and we need to honor and we need to take care of. And then on the third week, I believe, and I'm not sure, but one of the parables in Matthew 13, it talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that gets planted into a field, so very small, and over time it begins to grow up into a large tree where all the birds come and nest. Now, I've read that so many times that I read it and I think to myself, what's this mean? Much like the people that were present in Jesus' time and day, where they would look and say, I don't understand what this means. I've never understood that. And I believe the Holy Spirit gave me illumination yesterday because he's talking to agricultural people. He's talking. So a lot of the things that Jesus taught, not only Matthew writing to Jewish people, talking to them about who Jesus is and what he came to do. It's very amazing in Matthew 13 that he lays out these parables that start with the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. So they're agriculture people. They understood. When when I would read that all the birds come and nest in it, these were farmers. And I'm certainly not a farmer, but I grew up around farms. I grew up around good friends that had a lot of farms. The enemy of any farmer are birds nesting in your field. So I thought, wait a second, we read that and we think, oh good, the birds have a place to nest and come. But the agricultural people standing there that day were like, whoa, we don't want the birds in our field. So there's something deeper there. There's a surface level and then there's a deeper something that we can get to. So everybody say the kingdom of heaven. heaven. This that we're going to read here in just a minute, it says the kingdom of heaven is like. So when I say... I desire for the kingdom of God to be realized in your life and not just in your life because it starts in your life, then it should be planted in your family. Amen? And if it's planted in your family, then it should go ahead and begin like concentric circles that the Bible talks about in Acts chapter 1 where he said the kingdom has now begun in you 3,000 some people that got saved and filled the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He told his people, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the kingdom of God is not just to be realized here and in your family and in your personal life. I want to see the kingdom of heaven planted in your life and in your family's life. And by virtue of your family coming under kingdom principles and understanding how we order our life in the kingdom of God. Guess what begins to happen? An entire community can begin to change. That's what I desire is for Homosassa to be different because there's a blood-bought, spirit-filled group of people who understand the principles of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't just stay within these four walls. I want to see it go all over this area. Because if we can get a a Homosassa to change, then we can get a Citrus County to change. Amen? Amen? And I'm not talking about change based on trying to get somebody to do... I'm talking about supernatural outpouring of God and His Holy Spirit. I'm talking about, and the reason I'm talking about this this morning is I have watched this happen over a period of now 34 years in the church that I came from in a little old town called Chillicothe, Ohio. And in Chillicothe, Ohio, farming community, smaller town, the main employer was the, the paper plant that stunk up our whole city. It did. It was awful. Still, when I smell a certain smell, I think paper mill. If you ever been in a town with a paper mill, anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that smell like? Yes. 
And just a little out-of-the-way place, I thank God I grew up there. I appreciate the fact of where God chose for me to be born, because if you're sitting here this morning, you think your life's by accident. It is not. And I've seen, you can ask my wife, we go back and we're like, everything is different about this place. There's, there's businesses coming in. There's life revitalization happening. There's, there's people that, that used to drive through certain areas and see people homeless and on drugs, and you don't see it anymore. Why? Because the church understood the kingdom of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus, not just to change a few people in a church service, but to change an entire community. Because first we have to understand what the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, interchangeable words, that's one thing when I studied in my paper, and the simple principle that I finally came to the conclusion of after weeks and months of studying the kingdom of God to write a paper was simply this. Wherever Jesus is lifted up and allowed to reign, His kingdom has come. Anytime that Jesus showed up in an area and He would look at the people and there would be people delivered from demonic oppression. There would be the, the lame delivered and healed. There would, there would be the gospel preached and people believed in Him. And He would look and say, the kingdom of heaven has come to you. So I came to the conclusion that day that the kingdom of heaven is just allowing Jesus to reign over your family, over our churches, over our communities. But the kingdom of heaven is something that we read and we don't really understand. Can I give you five minutes of what the kingdom is? It goes all the way back to Genesis 1. I believe it's why in Matthew 13 that, that Matthew is laying this out here to the people who were Jews who understood their, their Torah, their, their word. They memorized it. So hearing these, these parables, they are thinking back to Genesis 1 because it's in Genesis 1 where we really see the kingdom established. Because listen, God created the planet, but He planted a garden. Are you listening to me? He created, He spoke everything into creation. And then you get into Genesis 2 and He says, Then God planted a garden east of, of this place and this river, and it had boundaries. And there's something too important to understand first about the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of God has boundaries. The kingdom of God has laws that were given. So, And that's not to keep us away from something uh, good, it's to keep us away from something bad. So it's much like a garden. If God says that He created the world but planted a garden, then we can understand some gardening terms apply. And Jesus continually, especially in Matthew 13, used simple seed, soil, harvest, and those type of of language in parables to teach these agricultural people of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And a garden is simply this. It's actually where we get our English word culture is the same word for cultivate. Okay? So there's a culture that is cultivated, same root word, and when God plants something, He does it in a way that is much like a garden in our lives, in our communities, in our families, and not just in our families. I want to see this whole region sh- shaken for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here in the garden, and it, that's what a garden is. A garden is something that, much like many of you have done, you go into an area of your, your yard, and what do you do? You begin to mark out boundaries of where this garden is going to be. And when you say, okay, this corner of my, my yard, I'm going to put a vegetable garden in. When that vegetable garden, you're going to come in, what are you going to do? You're going to plow up the ground, and then you're going to make rows. Now, I want to point something out. Everything that you bring in to plant the garden has already existed in the wild, in the world. 
Listen, if God's only purpose, church, was to have Adam and Eve in the garden and just enjoying His presence, eating fruit, not all fruit, amen? amen. If, if just to sit in hammocks and enjoy fruit and enjoy God's presence, if that's what it would have been God's... Because God certainly, number one, wanted to create people that He could relate with and talk with and be with, certainly... But if it only stops there, then you can never understand the kingdom of heaven in the way that it's supposed to be understood. Because God gave them some very specific commands. He said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, reproduce yourself. I've created boundaries. I've created a garden. And I, literally what it basically is teaching is, I, I want you to go into the world and I want you to subdue and take dominion over what is outside of my garden. Which tells us something about gardening. How many understand that when you plow a row and you bring life, everything that you plant in your garden it already exists in the wild, right? Yeah. It already exists. What you're doing is you're taking something that's unordered and bringing it into a place of order. Listen to me closer. In a garden, you're, you're making rows and you're taking that seed that has the potential to grow into a carrot or a cabbage or a tomato or whatever it is. And you're ordering Life. Now it says that God wanted them to take dominion and to go out into the world to bring chaos into a place of order. To bring a place that was... And don't, don't be so concerned about the word chaos this morning. Because chaos is... If you want the definition for chaos, it says an unordered life. So God... I'll, I'll give you another example. When we put a garden, we, we plow the rows... We take and intentionally plant what we want to see grown into that place that is already boundaried off and it is already something that's custom made. You plow up the ground, you put the seed in there, and then it begins to grow. In the same way, think of landscaping. I was a landscape designer for several years. And what you're doing is you're taking, you're taking plants and things that already grow in a natural way out in the wild, right? Out, out everywhere. And you take those, and what are you beginning to do? You are beginning to order those things in a way that is aesthetically pleasing and pretty. Maybe you've got a boulder, and you put the boulder there, and you, you begin to, to put, the, put the plants in order and begin to make something beautiful out of something that was not beautiful before. And in the same way in landscaping, when you're done, what do you do? You begin to put mulch down, right? Why do you begin to put mulch down? Because you don't want weeds growing in what you have intentionally begun to order. So the same principle in gardening and the same principle in landscape applies spiritually. Not a perfect analogy, but think about this. When, when Jesus is giving these parables in Matthew 13, most of them deal with this subject. God's kingdom comes in seed form. Jesus' word that he was preaching and teaching to them was meant to be planted in good soil in their lives. And when that word came and the good word and the, the, the principles of the kingdom of God came into their life, they could receive that into their heart. But there's something that begins to happen, and it happens in all of our yards all the time, especially in Florida. You get weeds begin to grow up, right? So the tendency of life when it comes to the fallen nature of the world and God's kingdom coming, because listen, we live in an already not yet completely filled kingdom of heaven. 
But we are to be people of order out of chaos. We are to be people who are planting the word of God into our community. We are to be the people who are planting the principles of God into our families. And and that's what Jesus is talking about mainly on these parables of Matthew 13. And we're going to talk about this a lot over the next couple of weeks. You've got to pull up the weeds if you want to see the fruit of God's word grow in your life. We'll talk about what those are next week, the wheat and the tares and the principle of the soil, the four conditions of our heart that can be present. So when I'm ordering something, and that's what God did in Genesis, he told Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to reproduce yourself so that you can begin to grow the kingdom of God like concentric circles, just like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Take my word and begin to express out the kingdom of God and his order. Because it's really, if you want to get down to what the kingdom is, the kingdom of God, when planted in a family or planted into a community, it begins to bring order out of something that's chaotic. And don't think chaotic is in confusion and all this and that and the other. The, the, the world around us is something that needs to be brought into order sometimes. Amen? So the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about here is where he is allowed to rule and reign. So a garden is essentially a culture. Everybody say culture. It's the same place where we get the word cultivate. So he said to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Well, that's interesting because they are to reproduce themselves according to Genesis 1. And then God makes this statement in chapter 1 of Genesis, subdue the earth and take dominion. Now, what does that phrase mean? I think we could safely say that there's a particular culture that you have established. God has established this culture here in the garden. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And I want you to begin to take this order, this this life of the kingdom. And I want you to begin to take it out into what is a chaotic world. Same thing applies to us today. Our kingdom culture is a church filled with the Holy Spirit, endowed with spiritual gifts, And taking that kingdom culture and producing a certain type of people on the earth. That that type of people that can influence the nations of the earth, listen to me, from the inside out. One of the keys of the kingdom that Jesus continually taught and continually let his people know is that his change in our lives individually, or if we want to see change in our community, if we want to see change in our county, if we want to see change in our state, if we want to see change in the United States of America, can I tell you, God doesn't need millions and hundreds of millions of people. He just needs a few faithful people that understand the principles of the kingdom and are living it out every single day of their life. Our job, listen to me this morning, when we study these parables, our job is to make Homosassa a better town. Amen? Our job is to make Citrus County a better county, to take the kingdom culture in Florida even a better state, and America a better nation. But here's the key today, and I want you to repeat this after me. You have to buy the farm. (laughs) You have to buy the farm, church. The reason I started here and felt like this was a word now for our church in the parable we're about to read, because everything else I teach on for the next two or three weeks regarding parables, if you are not completely in, we will never see the kingdom of God realized in our community. If you're not completely sold out and in, you're not going to see the kingdom of God realized in your family, and that's where it starts. You are a a microcosm of, of the kingdom of God right there in your own household. You have to buy the farm. Jesus came to institute a kingdom. It's what we call the right now, 
but not yet completely filled, fulfilled kingdom. And then here's what he did. He handed it off to a church in Acts 1 that would be endued with power of the Holy Spirit. If you read Acts 1, you have to go also to Genesis 1 to understand what Jesus is doing. He is a completely different because he is a new creation. Amen? We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And we go forth to plant the kingdom into what is a chaotic world. I don't want to get you to get your eyes on the chaos. I want you to get your eyes on the power of the seed of God's kingdom this morning. So let's look at Matthew 13, verse 44. Then I'm, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read John chapter 4, verse 35. So it's with that thought that we'll look at a few places Jesus said, this is what life in the kingdom looks like. And Jesus told us plainly, this is what life in the kingdom looks like. Matthew 13, verse 44. If you're there, say amen. amen. New King James Version reads it like this. This is the parable of the hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. John 4 Verse 35, do do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Father, for these next few minutes and moments, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray today would not just be another sermon, but it would be life-giving kingdom seeds sown into the lives of good soil today. Father, you said that It would even bear 30, 60, even 100-fold fruit. God, we're praying for a 100-fold return of fruit upon your word today. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Anything said of me, God, I pray it would go by the wayside. But whatever said under the unction of the anointing of Almighty God, we pray today that you would help us, that you would lead us, and that you would change our lives, God. In Jesus' holy name, amen. I want to speak to you for a little bit about the treasure that's in that field that they were talking about. Because when you read that and you see treasure, everybody's like, oh, treasure. That's good. So Jesus starts off by saying this again. Everybody say again. Again. Now, whenever I have to say myself again, or my wife has to say again, I've told you this three times. So I'm going to tell you again. It meant that Jesus had already taught this more than likely, and he's telling it to them again because how many know and understand that you can be listening, but you cannot be listening? So important, I feel like the word from God is that we need to be listening and tuning in what God is saying to his church. What God is saying to his people. We need to be have our ear to the ground, so to speak, spiritually, and listening to what God says. Because sometimes I hear my wife, but I don't hear my wife. Franklin Roosevelt, one of our presidents, did a, a little test one time. And they had a long receiving line. And they were receiving ambassadors and dignitaries and, and presidents of other countries. And he looked over at his wife, Eleanor, and he said, people don't listen to me. And she looked back and she said, really? They don't? He said, no, watch this. Everybody that comes through the line, I'm going to look at them and say, I murdered my mother-in-law last night. And she scoffed at him and laughed according to the story. And there were dozens of people that walked through. And when he said, I murdered my mother-in-law last night, the people would look and say, keep up the good work, sir. It's, you're, you're doing good. And they would move on. And she'd snicker and laugh, except for the very last person that came through the line was the ambassador to Bolivia. And he said, I murdered my mother-in-law last night. 
And he said, sir, I'm sure she had it coming. (laughs) And he just moved on. Church, we need to hear what God is really saying. Because if you're not listening to what the Spirit is saying in this season, then we're going to not have the seed of God's Word planted in good soil. Jesus said this, if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a treasure that's hidden in a field. Then I believe he identifies the field. It's the story of the woman at the well. Many of you are familiar with that, but Jesus is, is following along with his disciples and they have to go around to another place. And in the word of God, it says, but they had to go through Samaria. Now we all understand, or most of us understand, I know many People who study the Bible deeply understand that you didn't just go through Samaria because the Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. So to give you a quick synopsis, Jesus ends up at a well. His disciples don't understand why they're there and what they're actually doing. It's, it's late in the day. Everybody would usually come out early in the morning to draw water because it was cool and it was easier. She didn't go at that time because all she ever heard was all the, the talking and yeah, yeah, and the whispers and the innuendo directed at her because we understand from the word of God when Jesus finally starts talking to her and gets down to the nitty gritty, he looks at her and he simply says, She says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, well said, because you've already had several husbands. And I think this talks about, if we're going to talk about what the treasure is, we also have to talk about what the field is, because I found out in my own life that I certainly want the treasures of the kingdom, but sometimes I don't want to buy what comes with it. Amen? Because it's not just about the treasure this morning. It's about we have a field. We have the kingdom of God that wants to be realized in every area of your life, every area of your family, and the kingdom of God begin to spread and trans, 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 push out what the enemy wants to build to build the kingdom of God right here in your life. So he's there, and his disciples are like, we're hungry. Not a thought about why they're actually there for, and I think that that speaks to us if sometimes we forget why we're here. We forget that we have a mission, and it's to see the lost come to a place of saving grace in Jesus Christ. So he looks at her and he says, well said, you don't have you know, a husband. His disciples are off getting a, a Happy Meal or something, I don't know, or swinging through McDonald's or whatever it is. And he encounters this woman at the well. The beautiful thing about this story is that this woman then goes back into the town And Samaritans were known, commentaries will tell you when you read biblical commentaries about this story, Samaritans were known, and especially just normal, everyday working people, were known to wear wobes of white, robes of white. (laughs) They were known to do that. So get this picture. This woman encounters the kingdom of heaven. This woman encounters grace, even though that she's lived a life, and, and again, there's Different commentaries and scholars would tell you that simply she was divorced by men for different reasons. It wasn't her leaving them. It was them leaving her, and Jesus probably certainly understood that. But my point is this was just a – we need to understand what the field is that's talked about in this parable if we're ever going to understand what we are to do as a church to realize the kingdom of God in every area of our lives. And the field is is she runs back into town – She's telling everybody that she comes in contact with, I met a man, I met a man. Now, they all gossiped about her anyway, so they're probably like, oh, you met another one. Let's go check out what's going on here. Because she was living with the fifth one, and she, according to what we understand, she had been divorced four other times. So 
here she comes. So an evangelist has been born at the well, and she goes back into the town telling everybody about this prophet, about this God, and they're just curious as to what's going on. So the Word of God tells us that the entire town begins to filter out coming to the well, and Jesus' own disciples show back up with his happy meal. And he had to have been kind of frustrated with them, in my opinion, because they offer it to him. And he says, I have food to eat that you have no idea of. And they're probably whispering and looking at each other. I'm taking some liberty here, but allow me. They're looking at each other. Did somebody else bring Jesus' happy meal? And we didn't see it happen. (laughs) But think about this. He looks up. And this is where the, the passage in John where he says, look for the fields are already ripe unto harvest. He's getting them. And think about this. I hadn't thought of this ever until just yesterday. Think about this for a second. The very ones that he had poured his time, energy, and seed of the kingdom and life into were more concerned about getting their next meal than they were about the harvest that was right in front of them. They should have been the ones evangelizing the town. But God had to... God had to raise up a four-time divorced woman at the well to go into her own place to begin. Don't tell me God can't use you this morning. His own disciples, he's like, guys, I have food to eat. My food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. Your will is to do the will of the one who sent you because you are a kingdom person with the kingdom on the inside of you. And he looks up at all these people dressed in white robes and he says, guys, don't say that there's four months and then the harvest. Lift up your eyes and see. I want to tell you this morning, church, when we're talking about parables, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, I don't want you to sit here today and say, yes, God's going to send revival in four months. Revival is here now. It is. God's Spirit is being poured out upon young people all over this country and all over this world. The enemy thought he probably had won some victories, but I came to tell you today that God always has the last word and He always has another move. Because the enemy's always, the devil's always playing checkers and God's playing chess. And you're like me for the last three years. I've been despondent. God, look at the way our world's going. Look at the way everything's going, you know, to heck in a handbasket. I won't say that word. Look how everything's beginning to, to, to happen. But can I tell you, the power of the seed of God's kingdom is no matter who we run into, they can be raised up by God to do powerful works for Him. So we see this in the Scripture. Jesus says, look, the harvest is plentiful. The field is white. It's ready to be harvested. And in this parable, we see that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Everybody say treasure. That's hidden in a field. Now go back to what I was talking about before. The garden analogy, the landscape analogy. God's kingdom comes and it takes something that's out there and begins to order it. A chaotic life is simply an unordered life according to the word of God. God wants you to order your life according to His kingdom and not your own thoughts and not your own will and not what you desire to do. Because He says that when the man finds it, he doesn't buy the treasure, he buys the whole field. Everybody say whole field. field. Because the treasure of the kingdom is in the whole field. In other words, 
You can't just get the treasure, you have to buy the whole field. That's why my title today is, I bought the farm. I don't know what saying, where that saying came from. Oh, he bought the farm. Because you can't buy the treasures of the kingdom. And there's a lot of folks in Christianity that, they, that the treasures are appealing. Amen? You can't buy the treasures of the kingdom. The Bible is very clear that what we are given by God is a free gift. Amen? Amen. And that's beautiful. You can't earn that. But can I tell you something? You can't get the treasures if you aren't all in and buy the whole field. We want, we want the treasures of God's blessing. We want the treasures to call upon God when we feel like we need Him in that moment. But can I tell you, that's a very superficial relationship with God, that He wants to take you to a higher place and a deeper place in Him, that you're not just after the treasures. You say, God, I'll buy the whole field. Because we are raising up another generation from behind us. And I believe we've raised up an entire generation that's present before me, including myself, that is taught and is preached. Come to Jesus. He wants to give you treasures. And He does. But He also has a field for you to buy and work in. And listen, when you come to a field and there's treasure on the inside of it, certainly there is. And and you say, well, I want the treasure. But wait, I, I have to buy the whole field? Listen, you look at any field, and I guarantee you, especially around here, there's weeds, there's red ants. I guarantee you there's some red ants on that bad boy. Look, we were praying up at the school, and I didn't realize I was standing on a red ant mound in flip-flops, y'all. Guess God God got me back for wearing shorts and flip-flops to a prayer meeting. He has his ways. There's probably snakes in that field. There's certainly weeds. In In other words, go back to what I said in the beginning. God created the world and planted a garden. We are kingdom people that even in the chaos, whether it's chaos in your family, you need to begin to plow up the ground and plant what you want to see because that's how the kingdom of God works. Another parable we'll talk about more next week is he talks about the condition of soil. There's thorny Things that pop up. There's cares and worries. In that field, there were certainly rocks, snakes, weeds, red ants, everything like that. But it says that the man bought the field because the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And when he finds it, he doesn't buy the treasure. He buys the whole field. You see, you can't buy the treasures of the kingdom. And to say the treasure isn't for sale, listen, there is no price on the kingdom. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves coming to church for the loaves and fishes, come on somebody, and not understanding a powerful principle of the kingdom of God. So we say to ourselves sometimes, I need God, I need God in my family. God, I need financial blessings. God, I I need you to heal me. God, I need you to do something for me. God, I need the treasure that is of the kingdom that you bought and paid for with your blood. But God wants to change our paradigm. God wants to change the way that we see life and to see our, our everyday going about life because we can't just need God when it's convenient for us to need Him. The Scripture says that you've got to buy the whole field, which means I'm starting here today as we continue on because if you're half in and half out, you're not going to see the kingdom of God realized in your family and in your life. You've got to buy the whole field. You can't just come to God when you're in trouble. You don't, God doesn't want you to just come to Him when everything's going wrong and bad. or when Because the treasure of the kingdom is so incredibly beautiful, important, it deserves us to buy the whole field. Amen? 
In order to have all the treasure that's in the field, the treasure of the kingdom, the principle we see here is you have to buy into the whole field. Paul put it this way. He said, there are things that accompany salvation. You see, there are admirable parts of serving God. There are great times of worship and great times where we see people saved and we see people healed and we see people delivered. But can I tell you, in the field of God's kingdom, there's also a lot of just everyday mundane work that needs to be done. But you have to buy the whole field. And sure, there's treasure there, but there's rocks, weeds, and all these other types of things. And, and, and listen, if we're going to realize the kingdom in every area of our life that spreads out concentrically into our community, into our county, into the state, and I believe the United States of America. And I'm, I, listen, this morning, I don't necessarily think that we're going to change the United States of America, but we can change Homosassa. Matter of fact, it's already happening. There's people that are away from here that come back, and they, they looked at me last Saturday, and they were like, this place is changing. I went back to Chillicothe, Ohio, after being gone for, I mean, I was there and out, but really to be home here a couple of years ago. And literally, I just, I just looked around and I said, Chillicothe has changed. Here's what I liken it back to. People began to understand the power of the kingdom that's planted in people's hearts and begins to show fruit. Listen. To give you an illustration, we live in an age where people even want the treasures of marriage, but they don't want to buy the field, right? God, folks, marriage is a treasure. It's a covenant. It's a holy thing to God. And we live in a culture and society that doesn't call it holy. They call it convenient for us just to shack up, right? Can I tell you, you want the treasure, you got to buy the whole field. You want to see God's word come, become fruitful in your life and not just become an emergency line, God? Get Jesus on the main line and tell him what you want, that song? How about Jesus ring you up sometime? In other words, my, my sermon this morning is just wrapped in a simple thought that if we're going to see the kingdom of God have effect, then you have to buy the whole field. You cannot be half in and half out. And I'm trying to shrink the church down so we can have more seats. So. <laughs> And that's the cry of this generation, and and I desire to change it because they've heard the cry from the generation above them that says, God, I want your blessings, but I don't want the cross. What did they say to Jesus when he was on the cross? There were people crying out, come down from there, come down from there, and we'll believe in you. Come down from that bloody cross, and we will follow you. Come down. Because we have raised up a generation that doesn't understand that there's a cross involved when you buy into the kingdom of God. It's not all sunshine and roses, folks. And we've preached a gospel that says, come to Jesus and he's going to fix all your problems. He absolutely will help you with your problems, but you've got to buy the field. He wants to help you find the treasure, but you've got to buy the field. He wants to help you plant the Word of God into your heart, into good soil. And you'll see, your, you, you'll see your life more blessed by accident following Jesus than you ever will trying to do it on your own. And it really is simple spiritual principles that we can apply to our life. And can I tell you something? Another parable talks about the pearl of great price. You know who the girl, pearl of, of great price is? Jesus. He is. Relationship with Him. It's just simply called a buy-in. We need to buy the farm. We aren't called to be pew warmers. We aren't called to be pew warmers. I ought to have you all stand up and touch your seat. 
and to tell you this is not your contribution to the kingdom of God is not a warm seat at church on Sunday morning. Listen, I love the church. I was thinking about this yesterday. Literally, myself and this woman right over here have given our entire lives to this called church. I gave it to Jesus. But when I came to Jesus, I didn't just say, well, Jesus, I'm making you Lord over my life. So I want a great landscape business, a design business. I want to go into business with this man who, who sold a million dollars of landscaping the year before. And he, he was going to go into business with me. I'd been in existence for a year. He had been a landscape architect for three at a, at a nursery. And I didn't say, well, God, I will come and buy the farm. But let me tell you what, I want planted in it. I didn't do that. But how many Christians do that? That is not kingdom. And I was thinking about this. We have literally given everything to Jesus and allowed him just to speak to us and move us from, I didn't want to move away from home. I love my family, love my brothers, love my life there. And now I live in Florida. I'm like, I would never move back to Ohio. So <laughs> the Lord works in mysterious ways, you all right? And that's the truth. Because when you really buy the farm, then you no longer... You no longer get to necessarily say God comes and tells you what to plant. God tells you where the treasures are. And certainly there are beautiful treasures in following Jesus. But I wonder how many people are trying to follow Jesus for the treasure when it's not all treasure. Sometimes there's crosses. We're going to talk about this in depth next week. I encourage you to come back next week because the weeds that grow up, the wheat and the tares, some things grow up in our lives and we just look at them and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? And in that parable that we're going to study next week, the the master said, don't pull up the fruit. Don't, Don't pull up what's growing and it's going to cause fruit in your life because you'll destroy it by pulling up the wrong weed. This is where we get, this, this church is, listen, this is where you get coached up. This is where you get fired up. This is where you get filled up. For what? The field. A buy-in. Jesus on Sunday, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus 24-7. You say, that sounds like somebody radical. Yes, it is. Because lukewarm ain't changing our culture. If you look around, culture is pressing in on our beloved... Again, when you plant a garden, you have boundaries. Listen, God has law. He has rules. He has things. And and people say, well, he's just trying to ruin my good time. No, he's showing you what true freedom really is. Some of you are here even today and you're kind of thinking, "Ah, I'm a little skeptical of the whole Jesus thing. I don't really see what difference it makes. Listen, that's because you've been around the wrong kind of Christian. You haven't been around field buying Christians that are like, I know there's treasure in there. And listen, if the treasure to Jesus is you witnessing to somebody even today when you're out and about and and, and they come to a a place where they give their lives to Jesus, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. So there's a field all around us all the time. But it takes a buy-in. When I speak of the harvest field, if you think of the story of the woman at the well... The field is just where lost, broken humanity is. You don't have to go 30 feet outside of these doors to experience lost, broken humanity. Listen, where's the field, you say? The field is our children's ministry. Come on. The field is our youth group. The field are the greeters at the doors. The field... Or the outreaches that we do. The field is your workplace. The field, but listen, you're not going to affect any of those arenas if you're only half in and half out. 
Listen, I want, I want to have great church. Anybody else is like good church? Amen. I don't want to get up here and bore you to death every Sunday. But the people who are looking for treasure week after week in here are going to be disappointed because that will become church to you when you understand it's not about church, it's about kingdom. And the kingdom happens outside of these walls. You want the Holy Spirit to fill you? Listen, you want the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you purpose? Then quit looking at this stage and say, when is he going to let me up there and give me a microphone? Because it is not my job to create a ministry for you when there is a field outside of these doors. Maybe you're looking for treasure in the wrong places because there's treasure in the field. But it says the man, when he saw the treasure, bought the entire field. He didn't just go dig up the treasure. He said, look, this is the field. It also relates to God when he looks. There are treasures in earthen vessels in you. You want to be anointed powerfully by the Holy Spirit? Then go out into the highways and byways and just begin to tell somebody about there's a good God in heaven and there is a hell and there's a heaven and God doesn't want you in hell. He wants you in heaven. God is very much into us going into the field to see Him manifest. God has purpose for you. And it's not just to come to church on Sunday mornings. It's not just to warm a pew. And I'm not being harsh with you today. I'm telling you the truth of the kingdom. I want great church. I want fun church. I want anointed church. But if we are seeking after all that and not understanding and listening to what Jesus is saying, we can miss it. Because what Jesus is saying in this season, listen to me real quick. What Jesus is saying is look up because the harvest is plentiful. Take your eyes off of your happy meal. They came to Jesus with a hamburger and he's like, guys, if you know what, 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 what is happening here right in front of you, then you wouldn't worry about all that. We get so caught up in all the, just the, the mundane things of life, we think that... Following Jesus is boring. It's anything but boring. The reason it's been boring to you is because you've made it about this right here instead of out there. The field. The field. Number one this morning, it's a hidden treasure. Everybody say hidden. Hidden. That just simply means that you've got to really want it. What Jesus is saying to the people that were present, because a portion of them certainly were there. We see this all throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus let people walk away from him all the time. Do you hear me? You say, oh, God just, you know, he, listen, he loves you and he wants to bring you into a relationship. But can I tell you how you're going to follow through all the days of your life living in that relationship is you've got to make him Lord of everything. You have to understand the treasure was hidden because some things God won't hide from you on purpose. He will hide it from you for a purpose. And that purpose is for you to get so hungry to go to the next place in Him that you begin to lay aside some of the things that that weigh you down and some of the things you know aren't good for you, some of the things that you know you could be doing better with your time, and you begin to follow Him with all your heart. Well, you say, if it's hidden, Pastor, then where is it hidden? I'll tell you where it's hidden. It's hidden in the place you spend most of your time. Do you spend most of your time at school? Your treasure is hidden there. Do you spend most of your time at work? Your treasure is hidden there. Do you spend maybe most of your time raising a family and maybe you're a housewife or a house dad perhaps? I don't know. You see where your treasure is hidden, there will your heart be, right? You know, I had a, I'm going to talk 
this week and next week about just a couple of real pivotal moments in my spiritual formation. I've been in ministry for years at this point. I had served in just about every capacity that was known to man. I mean, I may be putting up scaffolding to change light bulbs in a 40-foot church ceiling at the church I worked at. And that afternoon, I may be praying with somebody that was passing away. It was all over the board. But one thing that I always endeavored to do was just do it with all of my heart. No, no matter what your hand finds to do, that, that's, that's buying the field. And I can remember, and I'm going to share more in depth next week of a real pivotal moment um, in relation to the wheat and the tares. But I can remember a real pivotal moment because, again, I'd been a missionary. I knew that God was going to call me into pastoral ministry. I knew God was going to open that door at some point. Didn't know when, didn't know how, didn't know exactly how it was going to work out. I just knew that I trusted God and I'd laid my life down before him, followed his voice, move here, go here, do that. He told me to marry Leah and Leah dumped me three times. So I thought I didn't hear God. We heard God. I was hearing God, right? And I can remember just having the wrong idea of what ministry was. When I talk about the field and buying the field, I had a misunderstanding about what ministry was, and it was a man by the name of Bob Sorge. He's an author and speaker. I had to pick him up at the airport. He was ministering the next morning in Sunday morning church at the church I was at. So I picked him up at the airport, and we went to dinner. And long story short, because he, his vocal cords were damaged from a surgery, he was pastor of a huge church. He was a worship leader. So he could no longer speak forcefully or sing at all because of what happened during a surgery. And so he would write. And he would write his questions. We're having dinner, and he'd write a question and hold it up, and I'd answer it. He was saving his voice for the next morning. He could talk, but it was really tough to hear him. And he said, so, you know, he wrote a question. So, so what's, God, what's God have for you? This general question. We were just making small talk. So I began for 10 minutes to lay out, I believe I'm going to pastor God at some point is going to, you know, take me from here and put me where he has for me to pastor a, a group of people. And he wrote one word on the piece of paper and held it up. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me so profoundly. Again, it's a hidden treasure. Sometimes we walk across it and walk by it all the time because the way to find your purpose and the treasure that God placed you here for is by laying everything down before him and he directs you to the treasure. And he held up that and he wrote the word people. See, I had a view of ministry that was, okay, when they finally hire me to be the pastor at a church, then I'll finally be in, you know, and of course I was in ministry for probably 15 years at this point. But it it changed something in me in this, that when you're looking for treasure, don't overlook just the everyday common people and occurrences that you run across every day. So there were two pivotal moments that actually got me to the place I am today, and I'll tell you about the, the other one. Um, it was in January of 2017 when I had a conversation with my pastor and it, something changed. That changed in that moment because here's what I was doing. I was so busy looking for something, looking for treasure that was down the road that I was missing the treasure that was right in front of me. I was so concerned about the purpose that God would ultimately get me to that I forgot the purpose that God has for each and every one of us in this room. And that is just for the people you come in contact with every day need to hear about Jesus. Look to the harvest. It's already ripe. Jesus was taking their attention off the the temporary. And that's what the parables always did. The parables were always meant to, to go into the lives of the people, into their hearts, and begin 
to bear fruit. Alexis, if you'd come and just play the piano there, we're going to wrap up here in just a second. The second thing is the treasure is in you. Amen? Everybody say, the treasure is in me. God has gifts and anointings that are ready to be released in your life, but it's not my job to create some spot or position for you when there are people all around you that need to hear about Jesus. Amen? Here, here, here's what I'm saying. The treasure is in you. It's a hidden treasure, and the treasure is, is, is in you. And sometimes we get a, a, an idea about ministry, especially, or doing things. I want to encourage you today, don't chase ministry. At that point when I was talking to Bob, I was chasing something out here. And the Holy Spirit said, don't chase it, just do it. And when you're doing it, then you're fulfilling what I've called you to do. God specifically designed you here today and called you to reach you, to, to, for, to move through you to reach your field which, what is my field? Your field is the sphere of influence that God has already placed you in. I'm not talking about this morning that when we leave, I'm going to see you, and if you want to do that, that God will bless you, but you're not going to be on the street corner you know, with signs, just turn and burn. <laughs> God, if you want to know what ministry is, it's very nugget and seed form, it's influence. And if your sphere of influence is at work, then you need to be the best worker that shows up that day. Because it's your integrity and seeing something different about, well, he doesn't cheat on his timesheet. I noticed when everybody else said, oh, you can help yourself to that, they, they held back. They didn't condemn everybody else. It's just something about you. Because when God wants to anoint you for a great purpose, oftentimes we think that great purpose, again, is preaching to 10,000 people in a stadium. God may do that for you. But I found in my life, it's more like this. When I got saved and God began to put me into ministry and push me out and to go to Bible school and do all the things that I did, I had great visions of what God would do, and I'm seeing fruit of that even now 27 years later. But what I didn't realize is when God said, well, you're going to minister to a lot of people, I was like, oh, you're going to fill up stadiums and I'm going to preach. I had no interest in that. I just know what I saw in prayer time of what God was showing me about my future. I didn't know that all the people that I would minister to over my lifetimes, 98% of them, have been one-on-one. It's like God takes a million dollars and changes it into quarters. <laughs> and we're like going around like, here, here, here. Because the treasure is in the field. It's hidden. And the treasure is inside of you. And it needs to be drawn out. And listen, the treasure, as we've talked about, isn't just for you to consume or for you to have more. The treasure is so that we can see a world one. Amen? Number three, and I'm closing, the harvest is now. Everybody say now. Stand up with me. The story of Ruth, and I've heard sermons on Boaz and Ruth and what... Boaz did for Ruth, and that's a whole other sermon, is he told his workers that he wanted his servants, his workers, to what they call leave handfuls on purpose. 
And she needed it for the food. It was gleaning. It was something that the Israelites did where they would leave a certain amount of the leave a certain amount of the, the crops so that poor people would be able to come along and to have sustenance. It was beautiful. But there's another version that I read one time that said this. It translated it in this way, and I think it's more I think it's more fitting for closing that the harvest is now. That Another translation said this, leave handfuls of purpose. As you walk through life and you view your life in the kingdom of heaven, you begin to look for the, the, the handfuls of purpose that God directs you to all throughout your day. And don't discount the fact that you could give a, a, in a world that's cold, it's dark, and it's unloving... <laughs> that we can carry the kingdom of God inside that simply looks at other people and says, hey, you don't have to live this way. But I came to tell you something else this morning, that if you don't want to live that way, you cannot be half-hearted and be in the kingdom. You, you can't just want Jesus for the loaves and the fishes that he fed you the week before. There comes a time where you have to give him your everything. Amen? So bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask that very question that, you came in this morning, and, and this isn't me speaking to you. I believe that it's the Spirit of the living God that would speak to your heart. I said it in the beginning, I cannot change your life, but God can. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a seed sower this morning. So what I believe the, the call of God is, is that some of you need to buy the farm this morning. Some of you need to quit being half in and half out. Jesus said very clearly that lukewarmness would not be fit for his kingdom. No one putting their shoulder to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. So this is a serious word. It's a strong word, I know, but it is a now word for this church that that I'm glad if you like this church, I'm glad that you like the preaching, but, but that's not going to change your life. A relationship with Jesus will. But you can't go in it half-hearted. You have to lay everything before him. So let me ask that question. God, through the Holy Spirit, not just right now, not just today, but I want to say for some of you, it's been weeks and even months where He's just tugging on your heart. He's just pulling you into a place where He wants you to buy the field. He wants you to be fully committed, all in, and I'm not even saying commit to a church. If you're visiting with us this morning, this isn't some kind of a, a ploy to get you to come back. It's telling you that, that it, this isn't about church. This is about the harvest and the kingdom of God, about His work this morning. So you just say by raising your hand, God, I'm going to be all in with you. Is there anybody? Anybody? Praise Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And God can start a revival right there. Listen to me. That is the Holy Spirit that has been speaking to you. That maybe you've come to a place where you've you've drifted backwards. You've, you've, You've pulled yourself back away from His voice and His kingdom and His word. The Holy Spirit is just saying, son, I've got so much more for you. Daughter, I've got so much more for you. When you make that strong commitment, he's going to meet you and show you what to do. I want to ask another question, and it's this. You're here today, and it's not that you're, you're half in and half out. You never walk through the door of repentance, which is the cross. It's repenting of your sin, turning away from them, and beginning to follow Jesus with all your heart. Is there anybody here today that says, I just need to commit my life to Christ? Probably for the first time. Would you shoot up your hand? Amen. 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 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to say from this pastor's heart to yours, I was in a service just like this, and the man of God gave an invitation, invitation, and listen, my life radically changed in that moment. That's what God does. He takes out the heart of stone, and he'll put in you a heart of flesh. Then he begins to write his laws. He changes you from the inside out. He begins to clean you up as you grow closer to Him. We want you to know the best way for you to give your life to Christ and continue to grow is to assemble yourself with Spirit-filled believers that are going to help walk this out with you. So let's pray this together. There's about six, seven people that want to commit their life to Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to you honestly. I come to you openly. I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I've turned my back on you. And I've walked away from you. I come home today. I ask you to wash me clean. Change my heart. I turn away from my sin. And I receive your free gift. Come into my heart. Change my life. I make you Lord over my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, praise Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let me bless you today as we dismiss. Father, I bless the people of God that they would be blessed going in and blessed going out, that they would be blessed in their homes and blessed at their workplaces. Father, today, I pray you would help us see the harvest that's right in front of us, that you would anoint us mightily with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and we would see our workplaces, our families, our homes, and our community change because, God, you have called these blood-bought, spirit-filled believers to go into the highways and byways and tell people about Jesus. Father, today I bless them. I ask you to keep them safe. Put a hedge of protection around them. Put your holy angels around them and their families until you bring us back together at the appointed time. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed. If you're visited with us, come back and see us again. And Wednesday nights we're going to start a series on spiritual gifts. It's going to be good, y'all. Take part in that.